Welcome to Climate Plus, a DevX podcast. I'm Michael Igo, senior reporter at DevX. Every year, usually around this time, the world turns its attention to climate change and what we're doing or not doing about it. At the UN Climate Conference, or COP, negotiators get deep into the weeds on every aspect of the climate crisis. This year, it's happening in Dubai. To help make sense of this complex, critical moment, we're bringing you conversations with leading climate thinkers, activists, and experts, and asking them, can COP28 deliver? While there's consensus we all need to move faster on these issues, I feel like sometimes we're not still all rowing in the same direction. We all know where we want to get to, but I think not everyone is in the boat all grabbing an oar, going sort of due north, if you will. You've probably heard by now that the UN Climate Change Conference has gotten, well, big. This year's COP in Dubai was the largest ever. Fitting for a city with the world's tallest building and the world's largest mall, more than 80,000 people turned up in Dubai for COP28. And only a fraction were official delegates involved in the negotiations. Those technical and political negotiations are now just one piece of what a climate COP has come to offer. It's turned into something much bigger. For a company like Microsoft, the world's second largest, speaking of superlatives, the annual climate conference is the center of a conversation that corporations want to be part of, or even to shape. According to Melanie Nakagawa, Microsoft's chief sustainability officer, it's a conversation about what artificial intelligence might offer in the fight against climate change, a conversation about how tech companies can partner with international organizations like the UN, and about how to equip a new generation of employees with in-demand skills for companies that want to prioritize sustainability. This interview was conducted by my colleague Kate Warren. Here's their conversation. Well, Melanie, thank you so much for joining us today. Great, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, at COP28, I know there's a lot of activity happening around. Um, we've been able to find a little bit of a quiet, somewhat quiet spot in the media center for this conversation. Um, but Hopefully I know the audience doesn't catch the fact that it's actually a bustling media center right <laughs> it now. It is a bustling media center. It happen to be an open-air cubicle <laughs> having <Right>. this conversation. <laughs> um, that's how COP goes, right? And I know this is not your first COP, um, but I think it's your first COP with Microsoft. That is correct. Um, and I'd love to hear kind of just your reflections on having attended this many times before. How do you perceive the evolution of the corporate participation in these discussions? Well, it has gone from a very, very small delegation of a handful of companies partnering with NGOs to talk to negotiators to frankly what you see right now when you walk around these hallways or these giant pavilions, which I believe our misnomer because in, in sort of cop speak, pavilions often were these opened aired, you know, booths in one 
single structure, and here they are standalone buildings of multiple stories uh, that is called a pavilion. And so you really see this evolution of just much more engagement in these negotiations, but also on climate writ large. There are things happening off campus or off site here, um, different hubs that are happening and discussions in other spaces that may never actually even touch the negotiations at all. And so it really, people describe this as sort of the, the climate Super Bowl, the climate World Cup, where everyone is coming and descending upon to have these conversations. And I think the nucleus is, you know, we're here because the COP negotiations are happening, but the nucleus is more about just what are you doing about climate change? What's your role in this space? And that to me is a, a real change from when I started at this, you know, this process to where we are today. And so can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, Microsoft has made climate a big part of your sustainability focus. I was actually at a panel y'all hosted the other day here um, where your president Brad Smith was alongside Bill Gates and talking about, and his reason why was because you're a business operating on planet Earth. <laughs> and if you want to still do business, you want to have a livable Earth, but, uh, which seems pretty clear to me. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about why you've made this a core part of your sustainability focus. That is great. I think the other, the other piece to that, that statement is, frankly, for Microsoft to succeed, the world needs to succeed. And that's the other key part to why we're here, is that, one, we've been you know, closely working with the United Nations on so many issues not just on sustainability. And it's just really important for, yes, the planet to be a thriving, healthy ecosystem, but also for countries to be thriving ecosystems for both people and planet. Because obviously we have operations there, we have employees there, and all these different countries, we are truly a global company at the end of the day. And it's really important that when it comes to sustainability and planetary protections, that Microsoft's part of that discussion, part of the conversation not just because we can provide tools and solutions to help people, but also because we have you know, direct engagement with all these pieces within our employee base and our operations. And what are some of your like, core focuses, the critical issues you're looking to address here at COP and beyond in your broader you know, climate resilience work? So for COP in particular, I'd say there are four areas that we're really focused on while we're here, and you got to hear some of it yesterday when you went to the panel that, that Brad Smith was on. The way I think about them, so first and foremost, is around what are we doing to accelerate sustainability markets? You know, one thing that's become abundantly clear, not just that it's the hottest year on record and every year it keeps on getting hotter, is that we really need to see the solutions to climate change come online faster than ever before. And so what is Microsoft's role in accelerating those markets? The panel earlier this week that Brad Smith was on, he was able to announce that Microsoft for the first, was one of the first companies, or is the first company to meet our first mover coalition commitment on carbon dioxide removal. We also do a lot of work on water replenishment towards our water positive goal by 2030, and we're really trying to create markets around that as well. So this idea of what the role of corporations are in creating these sustainability markets that are gonna be needed for us to hit the IPCC goals around sustainability, around climate change. So you hear a lot about that. The second area of focus is really around um, what are we doing, how do we, how do we use AI to accelerate sustainability progress. We recently launched a report uh, earlier in November that talked about all these different opportunities for AI to accelerate sustainability progress. And this is an opportunity for us to talk and, sh and demonstrate and showcase this in the green zone at our, our booth there with so many people that are coming by. 
what does that look like in practice? You know, it looks like how do you increase you know, clean grid transmission? How are we looking at better wildfire management and risk using AI tools to understand visual imagery? The third area of focus for us is really around the reporting mechanisms and governance around, around climate change. Obviously, the nucleus to this meeting is, is policymakers coming together to negotiate text um, that help affect the future policies each of our countries pass and move forward with. And one of the things that's been coming up is reporting requirements for corporate disclosure. Obviously, something that's near and dear to Microsoft's heart. We have been reporting our sustainability uh, measures for the last several years, and we really want to make sure that country governments and policymakers know what goes into that level of transparency and reporting readiness and to talk with our peers about how we do the reporting readiness. I mean, this is a great place to have that, that conversation. Um, and so those are really the three big baskets, if you will, of some of the things we're focused on. And then the fourth area is really around for all of those that are here, um, the work we're doing on skilling and around how we're helping ensure that you know, we have the right sustainability workforce uh, when it comes to green skills and digital skills so that, again, people can participate not only in these conferences, but in the substance that actually helps these conferences and sustainability commitments run. Yeah, and no, I was um, actually moderating a panel the other day with uh, IOM DG Amy Pope and one of your Microsoft colleagues, Kate Benkin from Microsoft Philanthropies, where you announced a, a partnership with them on using AI and data to help better predict, manage, you know, climate-induced mobility challenges. Seems like there's a lot of very exciting stuff there. Uh, of course, there also are concerns about AI um, and some of the ethical concerns, data privacy, and then even some of the environmental concerns of the you know, data hubs that you know, require a lot of energy to run. So I'd love to think about, uh, have you share how Microsoft is thinking about some of those challenges alongside the many opportunities AI provides? So in the report we put out earlier in November around how AI can accelerate sustainability, we also tackled this question head on around providing a holistic view of how you think about energy consumption of technology, of these models. And what really came down to was, look, at the end of the day, when we think about AI training and models and technology growth, part of that is rooted in data centers and the energy that these data centers consume. And one of the key parts that we've also been talking about while we're here is how fast the grids are going to get greener. One of the key, you know, I think there's two main topics from a policymaker perspective around energy efficiency and, and renewables energy. And those are completely exactly ladder to what does Microsoft or other large players footprint look like out into the future? A lot of that depends on, frankly, how fast grids decarbonize. The faster grids decarbonize, the faster our growth also decarbonizes at the same time. That's why Microsoft is committed to trying to bring on more and more clean sources of power in everywhere we operate. That led us to be one of the top corporate purchasers of clean power to date. We've contracted for 19 gigawatts of renewable power in 21 markets around the world. And that's just a way we think about this growth when it comes to energy. The other thing to flag is again, when we get back to AI specifically, the efficiency of the model. Uh, we are founders of something called the Green Software Foundation that talks about how do you increase the energy efficiency of training and coding and these types of applications. And as that gets more efficient, um, that also changes what that growth trajectory looks like in these models from the current one you see to date to what the future ones look like. And then the third one that I think is really important to highlight is what does the model actually do at the end of the day? What does the AI actually produce or put into the planet? 
and it's things that could actually help accelerate our progress on sustainability. So it could help bring to life faster, long duration battery storage, which we know is so needed for intermittent sources of power like wind and solar. It has the opportunity to accelerate uh, clean energy transmission and even just the transmission process to help bring that uh, line faster. And AI is the incredible opportunity um, to help build resilience around these key areas within building materials and the environment and the built environment as well. So if you think about it from those three perspectives, that's really how we think about that question. Climate Plus is supported by the World Bank. Back in October, World Bank President Ajay Banga called for a new vision for ending poverty on a livable planet with a focus on climate action. We cannot endure another period of emission-heavy growth. We must find a way to finance a different world where our climate is protected, where pandemics are manageable, if not preventable, where food is abundant and fragility and poverty are defeated. We do not suffer from a shortage of solutions. We're just paralyzed by a persistent lack of courage to pursue them. The good news is that we have solutions like these within reach and resources at our disposal to scale them. To learn more about efforts to end poverty on a livable planet, search for the World Bank Group at COP28 or click the link in the show notes. Thinking about partnerships, and particularly partnerships with the UN, so I mentioned this panel I moderated around the partnership you have with IOM, and you know, your colleague was very uh, complimentary to how IOM knew how to work with the private sector and was able to you know, move pretty quickly to get this partnership off the ground. Um, I'd love to hear how you think about working with UN entities, and maybe what they get wrong when they're trying to partner with the private sector and maybe advice for how they could better leverage partnerships, explore partnerships, construct these partnerships. So this is really an incredible meeting for partnerships, I think is the way to describe this current COP. Um, you're hearing about them all the time throughout every day with these different thematic days. And Microsoft has a, a history with working with the UN on different partnerships. In addition to the one that Kate talked about with IOM, we also earlier, before the COP started, announced our partnership with the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, one of the key sort of convening bodies and hosts of this entire event that we're at. And the partnership we announced was how we're using AI and advanced data technology to track global carbon emissions and assess progress under the Paris Agreement. And this is really aimed at simplifying the process for how you validate and analyze climate data from 196 parties uh, that all have to contribute to the global stock take and the enhanced transparency framework uh, through this process. And it's a great example of the role that technology and data, visualiz data visualization, data analyzation plays in helping global parties come together and reach consensus on various topics. From these experiences, working with the UN in these various capacities, I'd say what we've learned is there, there is a moment now that we're at where they feel like they understand the role technology can play in accelerating the progress that they're trying to move forward with, the move from an analog world um, into one that's more digital, but keeping inherent to it diplomacy. You know, that hand-to-hand that -hand combat, that face-to-face -face 
engagement and negotiations is still core to this work. It's just enhanced with the technology tools that we're providing into this, into this area. So a common theme I've been hearing this week is just um, a real lack of data, particularly coming from the Global South, which leads into all kinds of challenges, whether it's financing risk to be able to predict um, you know, climate catastrophes. Obviously, Microsoft could play a big role here. Um, you know, there is a real, you mentioned the skills development and training, and there's a real lack of you know, data scientists and some of these skills, particularly in the Global South. Um, which is really needed to be able to advance a lot of these priorities in those countries most affected by climate change. So I'll learn a bit more about what you are doing to help address that skills gap, particularly in the Global South when it comes to you know, data science and understanding of these technologies. So, what, so last year around this time, we released a report on sustainability skills and the need for more sustainability skills and digital skills for all of these workers to exactly address the skills gap that, that's, that's out there and that's growing. And there's two ways to think about what we can do there. One is how do you provide access to trainings for people around sustainability skilling and how to close that gap. And Microsoft, with working with LinkedIn, has been offering more and more of these free courses and training and LinkedIn learning series to help provide access to the over, I think it's a billion users of LinkedIn today um, with these access to these free tools and courses to help them get trained and close these gaps. It's really exciting because my colleagues at LinkedIn have talked about, um, they've been seeing more and more job descriptions being posted that are looking for people with sustainability skills and then seeing more and more people online putting in their profile that they have these sustainability skills. The sobering truth is that they're still the demand for people with sustainability skills is outstripping the supply of people with those skills. And so we definitely need much more of these tools getting out there. And, and Microsoft's doing a lot of work in trying to help provide access to these tools, train more people, reach more people with these types of, of opportunities. Reflecting so far, what has struck you as maybe the most promising or concerning um, developing the climate dialogue, and particularly from a, a corporate perspective? I think one of the things that is a concern is while there's consensus we all need to move faster on these issues, I feel like sometimes we're not still all rowing in the same direction. We all know where we want to get to, but I think not everyone is in the boat all grabbing an oar going sort of due north, if you will. And what's concerning is sometimes these, these detours we're taking along that route, that's coming in either it's the, it's the complication of what is, is simple. It's like, look, we need to reduce our emissions and corporations are doing everything they can to reduce. And for a company like Microsoft, our target is to be carbon negative by 2030. And built into that target is incredible reductions across scopes one, two, and three. Uh, holding scopes one and two to near zero and reducing scope three by over half and then removing the rest that, that we can't. And I think that's a really important conversation to have, but at times you can hear some, some tumult in the ecosystem around offsets or voluntary carbon markets and things like that. And at the end of the day, I wanna make sure we're all aligned with, look, at the end of the day, we wanna make sure corporations are stepping up and doing what they can do to rapidly reduce emissions and what they can do in the cases like a Microsoft remove what they can't. And if we can kind of stay that course, we'll go there faster. But if we keep having to get sideways or 
you know, hurdles get thrown into the mix, it makes it a lot more complicated, not just for companies like us, but then for us to recruit others to take on these bold and ambitious commitments or to have the courage to continue to go forward. Are you interested in the intersection of business and social impact? Do you want to know how corporate sustainability, ESG, impact investing, and more can contribute to development finance? My name is Adva Saldinger. I'm a senior reporter at DevEx, and I've been reporting on these issues for nearly a decade. I'm the author of DevEx Invested, our free weekly newsletter dedicated to development finance. Every Tuesday, we explore how companies, investors, and market mechanisms are reshaping the world of development finance. Visit devx.com newsletters and join us on Tuesdays. Yeah, and are there other, you know, just systemic barriers that you see that really hinders corporates from fully embracing climate sustainable practices? You mentioned that, you know, corporations by and large want to do this and they are doing everything they can, but are there things that are really getting in the way of being able to do everything? So one phrase I've been hearing a lot is private sector led, policy enabled has been a phrase that I've heard in the hall, the hallways around here. And they use that in the context of, um, in the United States, the Inflation Reduction Act, or in Europe, the, the work they're doing on their, their green bills. And part of that, I think, really goes back to the idea of companies have made these leadership commitments, but they are enabled by the policies that governments will pass. So in the case of the United States, the Inflation Reduction Act, this is a policy that is helping to enable more clean energy to get onto the grid. The Chips and Science Act, coupled with the Inflation Reduction Act, is an opportunity to build more semiconductor manufacturing in the United States that's powered by clean sources of power, you know, carbon-free sources of power. And that's fantastic. And I think that would be one of the barriers is that we really need that policy enablement for this fast tracking of, of action. And while there's sweepingly growth around climate policies being adopted around the world, there are still some places that still don't have exactly the kind of policies that help companies get through the, whether it's a technology valley of death or through that acceleration of a hard technology to commercialization or helping the finance uh, industry finance some of these technologies that might look more risky but actually aren't as risky if you have some of these, these backstops put into the mix. So you look at different um, things within the IRA around carbon capture, you look at the tax incentives that are out there for wind and solar. These are great policy enablements that help businesses accelerate, that help companies take on these ambitious commitments and find ways to do that. So that that's how I think about it. Do you see these global convenings like COP28 helping to facilitate that? You know, there's a lot of skepticism, critique around the value of these big conferences and particularly sometimes with the private sector involved and concerns of greenwashing. Um, you know, I've heard this described as a circus by many people, but I think there's a lot of uh, debate for the utility of this. I'd love to hear you know, how you find this kind of conference really useful for furthering your goals and you know, what your thoughts are or maybe rebuttals to some of that skepticism. I think the, the best data point I can point to is 2015, the Paris Agreement gets negotiated. 
by the parties of the UNFCCC. And if you look at the growth in climate policies that were passed by country governments to be aligned with their nationally determined contribution, the NDC process after 2015, I think that's a fantastic data point to show the value of this process in actually driving concrete policy outcomes because 2015, the Paris Agreement truly was a milestone watershed moment for the world, not only because countries came together to this seminal, this important text, but also it got countries then having to put forward these documents, these plans, these roadmaps for how they will be aligned with these global goals. And as a result, corporates who are citizens of the world and citizens of these countries then also had to follow suit because they were the, the operators in these places. And so the cascade or ripple effect or however you want to describe just that, the magnitude of the shift that happened after 2015 in showing the value of a discussion like this on the global stage, I, I really would think about the world since Paris. Well, in our last moments together, what would make you consider this COP a success? What are you hoping to see? What have you seen um, looking at this week, but then also in the months and years beyond? On day 14, if you will, is that, is that when the, I think the final day of this COP wraps? Do we all walk out of these halls? I will not be personally walking out of these halls on day 14, and I don't think... Out of these <laughs> on that day, is everyone walking out with the same enthusiasm and energy that we feel today? There are people that are just really, conversations in all of these halls are just filled with optimism and sobriety, both in, in one hand. And I think that's really exciting. And, and I, for me, success out of this event is all of these relationships and these conversations, some first of, the, first of its kind, some are old friends I've seen for decades, how do we keep this momentum going after this climate conference ends? And, I, and that to me is a mark of success. And I do feel like even just from the last four or five days that we're here, it does feel like there's real momentum in the conversations I've had when I've, when I've left the meeting and I walked out the door. It's the immediate, okay, let's email them. Let's figure out when the next time we're meeting, what's the next conversation we're gonna have. So it, it didn't feel like it was a one and done conversation. It really felt like many of these discussions were opening the door to much deeper engagements with all of these partners. And that to me already feels like a success of this conference. Right, well, let's hope that we see many successes come out of this. Thank you so much for sharing some of your time with us today. Great, well, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Climate Plus. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it. And you can also leave us a rating or a review. We'll be publishing episodes twice a week in the lead up to, during, and after COP28. So make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform. If you want to share some feedback on this episode or have questions you'd like answered, we'd love to hear from you. Drop me a message on X, formerly Twitter, at Alter Igo, or send an email to podcast at devx.com. Climate Plus is a podcast from DevX. Kate Warren was the interviewer for today's episode. It was produced by Meg Richardson and edited by Naomi Mihara. The series editor is Catherine Cheney. 
It's hosted by me, Michael Igo.